All right. We got a lot to cover today. And uh, we're going to dive right in. If you've got a Bible, uh, I love it when you bring your Bible to church. If you need a Bible, we give them out at the welcome bar. Uh, We would love to gift you with one. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Um, We're going to be in uh, the end of Acts chapter 4. We're going to recap what we've talked about thus far, and then we're going to dive full speed into uh, what in the world uh, does this passage of Scripture mean, okay? Um, This this has been a great week, and I believe God is really wanting to to speak today. Uh, So, so far, we've talked about waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and if you're a guest here today, I've got good news. Um, we're going to just kind of be really real and authentic and transparent today. Is that okay if you're a guest? And if you're here and you're a non-believer and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're in, you're in a good place um, because this is a correction and a rebuke for the church, not you, okay? And so all of the Christians say, oh, <laughs> Yeah, it's for us, okay? This is for all of us, um, but I believe if we can get this right, man, it's going to be incredible. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and Peter preaches, uh, repent and be baptized. 3,000 people put faith in God. They start following Jesus, and then later on, Peter and John are on their way to uh, the Sanhedrin, the temple court, and and uh, they were walking up, and they saw this man at the gate called Beautiful. He was paralyzed. He He's been crippled from birth, and and he's just laid there lame his whole life. He's been carried back and forth to this gate his entire life begging for money, and he's asking for money, and Peter and John say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. I was actually laughing this week because (laughs) we're going to recap every week as we go through this. We may be in this till next summer. I don't know, but can you imagine the recap when we get to like chapter like 16? It's going to be like an auctioneer, okay? It's going to be crazy, Um, and, and this guy, he, he gets radically healed, and he runs into the place, and, and this is the beginning of a, a miraculous a move of God, and this man is healed. Peter and John get thrown into jail. 5,000 people are now following Jesus. 2,000 more were added because of what happened to this man, and, and they put faith in Jesus, and, and then they were released from jail, and then the, the apostles returned to the early church, and this kind of is where we left off last week, reunited, and it feels what? So good, right? We sang a little song. Some of y'all, we had people leave the church, and um, reunited, and it feels so good. Prayer is our priority. It's not our last resort. They prayed immediately and out loud in unity, and they reminded themselves who they, they prayed to. Sovereign Lord, you've created the heavens and the earth, the, the sea and the dry land. They, they got in a position to receive and to, and to pray to God for who he is. And then I made you three promises if you, if you would turn to God. And I've got a praise report. We had over 20 decisions for Jesus last Sunday. Would y'all give it up for God? God is moving. People are putting faith in Jesus. I had reports from people who have believed a lie their whole life in a different religion. They put faith in Jesus last week. God's moving, and we get to be a part of it. The promises were this. God will shake your life in the best way possible when you put faith in him. God will fill you with the Spirit, and then God will give you the ability to speak with great boldness. And we pick up in in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Verse 31, there's no way we're going to get through all this today, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Verse 31, if you've got your Bible, chapter 4, after they prayed, the place that they were meeting was shaken, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. God answered their prayer. All of the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. 
but they shared everything that they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is what made all of the religious people of that day angry because they did not believe in this. And God's grace was so powerfully at work within them all. You can underline, underline that in your Bible. It's powerful. God's grace was moving and, and there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses, they would sell them and they, they would bring the money from the sales and they would put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, so a man, his name is Barnabas and it actually means the, the son of encouragement. He sold a field, and we'll talk about Barnabas later on in Acts as well. He, he served a big purpose, and he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Quick Bible uh, study lesson, just so you know. Uh, the Bible has not always been divided into chapters and verses. It's very important we know this when we read this text, because there is no pause between Acts chapter 4 in Acts chapter 5. This is a continuation of the story. Um, thank the Lord that in the, I think it's 1500s, the New Testament was divided into chapters and scriptures so that the readers could find things more quickly. Aren't y'all grateful for that? Um, we would be searching for a long time for things, and I have enough, a hard time as it is finding stuff. And so it was divided. The reason I tell you that is because it's important you know that the end of chapter 4 is directly, it's connected to chapter 5. Are y'all tracking with me? And so they sold all these things. They, they had unity they were giving to one another, and, and then we pick up. It says Barnabas sold the field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. No pause, chapter 5. Now a man, here we are in the text, named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they, they, they sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. I just want to pause real quick. I was studying this. Y'all, he didn't even keep it for his wife. That's how selfish this guy is. He conspired against the Lord with his wife to keep the money for himself. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I married somebody that's exactly the same one. Uh, but brought the rest, I'm kidding, and, and they put it at the apostles' feet. This is, uh, this is so important that we pause and, and, and really unpack what this text is about. Question, what do you think this is about today? Some of y'all are like, are we supposed to answer out loud? You know? <laughs> what do you, what do you, when you, when you hear this scripture, what do you think this is actually about? Because our staff, we had a long discussion this week. I've been in the books this week. I've been calling, like, what is this about? Is it about money? Is it about giving? Is it about tithing? Is it about marriage? Is it, is it about the first recorded heart attack in the Bible? Two people drop dead, okay? Is it about how to do real estate God's way, you know? <laughs> like, is it about people dying in fear? What in the world is this about? Write this down. We see the deception of perception. And I'm going to explain. Deception is the action of deceiving someone. We see the deception of perception. Deception is the action of deceiving someone. Perception is how something or someone is viewed, how they're seen, or how they're thought about. So deception perception, which is, y'all, the church has perfected this. Like I said, if you're a non-believer, grab some popcorn. Okay, you're going to be like, what in the world? <laughs> deception perception is the act of tricking and twisting and manipulating and distorting how someone sees you. Completely deceiving and lying to the senses about who you really are. 
We live in a world that is obsessed with perception management. Would y'all agree? Like, like an obsession with how we're going to be viewed by others, how many likes, how many views, how many comments can we get on something? What are they going to think about me? I need to have the right filter, the right angle. How, how am I going to be received by the world? Like, like what are they going to think about me if I do this? Well, what are they going to say about, are y'all tracking with me? This is, this is the world we live in. This is church. This, a lot of people feel this way. And this is the reality is that the anxiety caused by this is outrageous. And it is running rampant, and it is destroying people's lives. Listen, social media has really fueled this, by the way. Our culture is obsessed with perception. How will we be seen by the world around us? And I've got good news for you and a challenge. Who cares? Who cares? I don't. And I'm on a mission to pastor a church that doesn't care either. And so if you don't want your toes kind of stepped on today, you better tuck them under your seat, okay? Because this is a word for the church of 2022. Can somebody say amen? Perception management is deadly. Trying to live and run the rat race of what am I going to be seen as or how are they going to view me or what are they? It's exhausting. If you live for people's approval, y'all know how it goes, you will die from their rejection. If you live your life obsessed with the approval of others, you'll die from their rejection. I'll say it this way. You will either live your life obsessed with the approval of people or live your life obsessed with the approval of God. And I can tell you one of those is fulfilling and one of them is not. And you cannot do both. You can't please people and please God. Especially in the world that, that we live in today. I believe in faith and I'm really excited today because I believe some people are going to be set free, um, that, that God is going to heal some people today, that in your life you have tried so hard to, to please everyone. And, and good, it's a good gesture. You, you've tried so hard to please everyone and, and to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and you've lived your life wanting to be approved by man and woman, but God wants your worship to go to him. Because what you need to realize is if you live your life wanting the approval of another person, you worship their approval. And it's really difficult to worship God and worship man. So the message title today and point number one is very simple. Stop playing church. Stop playing church. Have y'all heard that phrase, playing church? Doing the act and doing the, the shuffle. So some people... For some people today, this is just a gentle reminder, but for some people, this is your reality. And I believe there are people watching right now online. This is your reality. You're, you're playing the game. Turn to the person next to you and say, you better stop playing. Tell the person next to you say, God, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to learn from this today. I believe God's going to unpack it and, and, and really help us understand. I was so curious. Uh, you can ask our staff. They are so sick of hearing about this this week. I did a deep dive into when people started playing church. So I got, I got really caught up in the, the interwebs this week and, and old Google and was really searching stuff. And I found this really interesting study that back in the day, I, I realized if, if we can find out when people started dressing up for church, we could probably start figuring out when they started dressing up their lives as well. And so I did a study, and, and what I found is, is shocking. 
The, the middle class was emerging, and, and there, there were typically, back in the day, two classes. There were the haves and, and the have-nots. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get political at all, but what I'm going to tell you is kind of how this thing unpacked into the church today. The haves had two pair of clothes. They had work clothes and town clothes, handmade nice clothing to wear to places where their social status would be glorified. And the have-nots had field clothes. They, they, they had clothes that they worked in. And, and so I, to say that dressing up was a rare occasion, it was. It was a big deal to dress up, and it was, it was a big deal to be able to dress up. And this changed in 1764. There was a mass manufacturing machine that, built, uh, that was built that allowed clothing to, to come at a lower cost. And what happened is people then started dressing up to state their social status or to fake it. This crept into the church and entire denominations and belief systems were formed in this time. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I was a part of some of this, okay? Like the length of clothing, the length of hair, the, the, the color of clothing, the jewelry, all these things. And, and because at this time, clothing is what separated the rich from the poor. And it also drew a distinct line in the church, in the world of the haves and the have-nots, the lesser than and the greater than. Are y'all tracking with me so far? And so at early revivals, this blue, I was, I slammed my door. I was like, this is insane. This is revolutionary. Some of y'all are like, why are we talking about clothes? Okay, like, just, just track with me. At early revivals, hundreds of, of people would be saved. Thousands of people would be getting saved. And instead of going to the altar and leaving drugs and, and drug paraphernalia and weapons and things that, to live there to die, they would literally take off their garments, stripping before the Lord, okay? Like, this is true. <laughs> and leaving jewelry on the altar, leaving the, their, their clothing on the altar because it was all a facade. They would leave it there because these, these items had such a tight grip on humanity. Appearance has always been an idol, by the way, in the world we live in. It's not a new thing. In the mid-1800s, it became very important, don't miss this, to dress up for church. It became very important to dress up for church, and people would state their status by what they wore. So much to the point that people who couldn't dress up for church would actually fake it. Good, hardworking men with one suit, y'all please don't admit, this is so important to get. With one suit, they would go to church on Sunday, and then after Sunday, on Monday morning, they would go to the pawn store, the pawn shop, and they would pawn that suit, and with the money from that suit, live off of that money, work the wage that they had, rebuy the suit on Saturday just to wear it on Sunday to repeat the process on Monday. Playing church is not a new thing. All the way back to the early church, by the way, this is the first pause in the momentum of the early church. Let's just take a second. They had great momentum, people being saved by the thousands, and then sin entered the camp. And what happened? God said, hold up, wait a minute. Some people about to drop dead, okay? We don't know who killed them, but what we know is that they are no longer with us, okay? <laughs> they dropped dead on the spot. And they, they repeated this, this process, dressing up to impress people and to win the approval of others, to look one way but actually be another. Sounds exhausting, right? Sounds so exhausting. Here's the deal. Dressing up and looking nice at church, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But when, it's okay to have clothes, but when your clothes have you, that's when you've got a problem. 
Listen, as I studied this, what I realized is that what people did with clothing in the 1800s is what people do in 2022 with their souls, with their lives, with their family, with their finances. We, we, We fake it. It's like a great magic show. (laughs) It's all a show. It's all a game. Clothing is one thing, but when you dress up your entire life for church, there's a big problem. When When you're trying to put a suit and tie on your soul, there's a big problem. When you try to cover up reality with fake spirituality, we have an issue. Can somebody say amen? Perception management. This whole text, it's about this couple that wanted to look one way but act another. And I think that God can teach us through this. I'm curious, have y'all ever noticed in church when somebody asks, like, hey, how are you doing? We have the same canned response. Good, you know, great. Anybody, are y'all, are y'all tracking with me? Just rip this off my face. Okay, I'm good, you know. Oh, man, we're hot. We're blessed and highly favored. We're, we're, man, family's great. Have y'all, y'all tracking with me? Like, this is, this is what happened. Like, and, and the reality is, I, da- I dare you to ask a different question. Like, ask a different question, and then see if you get the same response as if you asked how you're doing, okay? Or be honest with the greeters when you walk in, and they're like, hey, how's it going? Good. Instead of saying good, tell them how you really are. What? They'll be like, oh, I wasn't ready for that, you know? Like, but I want to talk about this, because so many people... As we pull into church in the parking lot, I'm not exempt from this, by the way. None of our staff, none of our leaders are. We start acting like, like we studied acting in high school. Like we took drama class for seven years. Like you are a Hollywood star because this is, this is what happens. Y'all sped to church. You woke up late. Y'all cussed each other out of the house. Somebody got beat. Like somebody got choked. And, and, uh, and stop hitting your sister. Stop biting your brother. Did you really spill that in the car? This is a new car, and we bought it to impress people, you know. <laughs> Man, people are going to be offended. I'm so sorry today. <laughs> Tuck in your shirt, and you better smile. When anyone asks you how you're doing, you do not tell them what happened last night. Don't tell them what I said to your mom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then you walk in, and as soon as the door shuts to your car, you got to get the fun of Selfie, you got the new life sign in the background. Church on Sunday, hashtag too blessed to be stressed. Like, What? No, you ain't. You just cussed them out. Wait, hold up. Like, so you're telling me that everything's fine and, and you're great and, and you're good and, and everything's peachy and, and, and then you walk in the door and you got the smile, you're holding hands, walking majestically through the parking lot, wind blowing in your hair, look like a James Bond movie. And then you walk in. How are you doing? I'm good. We're actually really good. My family is the best it's ever been. I'm living the dream. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is what happens. And so many people, obviously I'm joking a little bit, but so many people that they take this approach to their relationship with God. And I'm just telling you, it is so serious to God that some people died because of it. So that it would capture the attention of the church of today. Listen, so many people put on the face and the front and the act and the, and the skit. And listen, today my goal is that we would stop playing church so that we could actually be the church. Because God cannot and he will not change who you pretend to be. Today is all very simple. Get real before the real God so that real change can happen in your life. And when real change happens in your life and it happens in the church, we can see revival in our city. A lot of people pray for a revival, but they don't want the renewal of their own life. 
Revival starts with a renewal of you. Revival starts with the repentance of you. We always say revival starts with you and with me. We got to get right before the king of kings, and then I believe God will light a fire. Amen? There's something about about coming clean and not faking it and, and being just open and authentic before Jesus. Today, church, we stop playing church. I've waited a long time to preach this message. Um, 364 days ago, I spoke my first sermon in Fayetteville. I was terrified, okay? I still am scared, but a little less scared. I do not want a church that plays church. I just don't. The world does not need that. We need a church on fire. Verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, they, they sold a piece of property. I'm going to skip her name. I don't really know how to say her name. Sapphira, Sapphira. This is an act of generosity, right? Like, this is huge. This is a big deal. Selling property. Everyone's doing it. Why not join in? Barnabas got praise. Let's be like Barnabas. And so what do they They sell this property and they decided they're going to jump in on this. When you hear generosity, by the way, what comes to mind? Some of y'all like that, the aunt that gives the really good birthday gifts. Or like the Christmas, like the person that draws your name at Christmas time. You're like, yes, I'm so glad that uncle, you know, didn't get, didn't get my name. Like the person that gives you, no, listen, this is what generosity is, what I believe. This is how I simply view generosity. It's when you view everything that you have in your life as God's and not your own. I'm going to say it again. It's when you view everything that you have in your life as God's and not your own. And we ultimately, we are the stewards of everything that God has given us. Our finances, our, our vehicles, our house, every dollar, every, everything, our children, everything is God's. We get to steward it. We have the choice, though, whether we're going to be a good one or a bad one. Are we going to be a good steward or a bad steward? And I, I figured I would take just a little short snippet to tell you a few things about giving and finances at New Life Church. A few facts. Number one, this is very important. We tell everybody that goes through Connect class. My wife and I and our staff do not know how much anybody gives at this church, nor do we care. Maybe contrary to belief, or maybe you had a different church growing up. I do not know who gives, how much they give, nor do I care. I will never care. What I care is that your heart is right before God. It's up to God and you on what you give, when you give, and how you give. Can somebody say amen? That's the first thing. We have a whole team of people who their job at New Life Church is to handle the finances, to steward them well. There's overseers. There's all kinds of people to make sure these things are squeaky clean. There's an annual report. There's all these things. Finances, I can tell you that we get it right as a church. The next thing, generosity is our privilege. A lot of people ask, Do the pastor, does the pastor tithe? The answer is yes. I'm not telling you to be like, good job. I'm telling you because a lot of people are confused. <laughs> Me and Kendra, we made a decision when we started following Jesus that we will be good sowers into the kingdom of God. It's so much to the point that I felt led to start a business and be able to bless other people with those proceeds. We, we love generosity. Generosity is our privilege. It is not an obligation. But when you see it as an obligation, there's a problem. Are y'all tracking with me? Okay, it's tense now that we're talking about money. All right. There are faithful members at New Life Church in Fayetteville that give a percentage of their income every single week 
to further the gospel and the vision of this church. And we all get to reap the fruit of their faithfulness. Can everybody say thank you? Four people said it. Can everybody say thank you? You're sitting in a comfy seat in a climate-controlled building with kids' ministries, with somebody standing up here who's preaching to you. I'm on staff at this church. We have a staff that does our best to take care. We have the things that we have because faithful people have given, okay? We do not pass a plate unless it's lunchtime, okay? We don't pass a plate. This is what we, we used to pass buckets, and we may go back to that. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And the reality is statistics show when you pass a plate or a bucket, giving goes up. Why do y'all think it goes up? Because people are watching. We don't ever want to be a church where people give out of compulsion. We don't want to be a church where people give out of pressure or fear of man. I would rather tell you, hey, there's an opportunity to give in the back. Man, I, I would love if you are a member of this church and you call this place home and this is the place that feeds you for you to sow seed so that other people can experience what you've experienced. Giving. We're going to have an entire sermon series about this coming up, but I just wanted to take a second to let you know, we don't want your money. <laughs> God wants your heart, and sadly, in the world we live in, those things are so wickedly connected. So why does God use money to help prove a point in Acts chapter 5? Because he knew every person could relate with it. Did you know that God talks in the Bible more about money than he does about heaven? He knew it would be an issue with people. And now that the room is nice and tense, let's continue. This scripture <laughs> is not about money. Money is the surface. The root is pride. Everybody say pride. The root is pride. In the heart of every human, there's an innate desire to do three things. They all start with R, to run, to rebel, and to raise hell, okay? It's the truth. If you don't ask me, have children. Like, <laughs> to run, to rebel, and to raise hell. That is, the, that is the innate wiring of a sinful being when we have pride that is in our hearts. We, we, everyone that is living under the sun, we are sinners that desperately need the grace of God. C.S. Lewis said pride is our greatest enemy and humility should be our greatest friend. Pride is the devil's most effective and most destructive tool. It leads to all sin. Verse 2, it says this, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for who? Himself. But, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet and this is where the story evolves. He kept back, in the original text, kept back, it, it means literally to misappropriate funds, to, to steal. He misappropriates. Ananias decides to steal from God, to lie from God so that he can appear to be godly. And it's really easy to read this and get mad at Ananias, but we all do the same thing. So, so Barnabas had just sold some stuff. People saw him as righteous, so, so let's, let's all be righteous. Let's, let's appear one way, but let's act another. Let, let's appear to be generous, but, but let's actually be selfish. Let, let's appear to be godly, but let's deny his power. Here it is. This is the beginning of the church playing church. Why does God make it such a big deal? Because he wants you to be authentic and real before him. He doesn't want you to play church when you come to church. He wants you to be who you are. But God loves you so much that he won't leave you there. This is the beginning of faking it till you make it. Y'all ever heard that? Just fake it till you make it. That's a bad kingdom strategy, just so you know, okay? 
the beginning of church clothes, the, the beginning of just smile, everything's good, and I'm, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored. I'm not saying show up to church and be like, my life sucks, you know? <laughs> Nobody wants to be around pessimistic people. Y'all tracking with me? But there's one thing to lie about where you're at, and there's one thing to be honest and open with somebody. And just so we're clear, God takes a moment to, to correct this, this early church and to redirect them, and, and, and this is the first pause of church growth. It's, it's been great up to this point. Ananias, in his pride, in his selfishness, decides to lie to God and trick people. It's one of the most dangerous tactics of the devil, tricking people into playing church so that they will never actually be transformed by the power of God. So why is this so serious to God? Because at the end of the day, when you look at the facts, it is our responsibility to be the church, to represent Jesus and when somebody is misrepresenting my bride, there's a, I, I'm, that's fighting terms. So why would it be less important to God? The church is the bride of Jesus. And, and do y'all want to know why many people leave the church in the world that we live in today? The, the great church apocalypse that happened the last two and a half to three years. Listen, it is, they're stiff-arming the faith, stiff-arming the gospel, stiff-arming the church. One of the greatest causes of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but they deny him with their lifestyle. They acknowledge him with their lips, but they deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Because sadly, over the course of time, somebody misrepresented Jesus to them. And I'm going to tell you, today as a church and as a pastor, we aren't pointing fingers. We are saying we take responsibility. Can I get some head nods? Y'all track them? We take ownership. It's no one else's fault. But I can tell you, as for my house in this church, we're going to serve the Lord. <laughs> Well, we're going to do our best to be, to be right before the king of kings and, and to serve and to love his people and to do this thing how he built it. Second Timothy is, is, is a, a rebuke. And Paul's telling Timothy in chapter 3, there will be terrible times in the last days. This is crazy. People will be lovers of themselves and money and boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's my kids. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than what? Lovers of God. Having a form, this is where this comes from, of godliness, but denying what? His power have nothing to do with such people. This is, this is talking about people in the church. This, you know, people who say they follow Jesus, but they are denying his power in their life. This is serious to God. This is lukewarm Christianity. This is what I preach about all the time. This is a stagnant faith. This is checking the box. This is playing the game. This is honoring God with my mouth, but denying him with my life. When Zane, y'all, we were in a really serious uh, moment in our life with parenting and, and discipline with our son. I need y'all to pray for the tomboy household. When Zane is roughhousing with his sister, it's one thing. I gently will redirect him. Hey, we don't, you know, we don't pull sissy's hair out. It's, it's hers to keep, you know. Like, <laughs> like when we, we used to have a dog back in the day, and, and um, he, didn't, he didn't come to Fayetteville with us. We, he stayed in central Arkansas because he's a rebel. And, um, 
And, and Zane used to eat his dog treats. He would sneak into the pantry and eat his dog food. He would literally fast his dinner and go eat the dog food. I'm like, this is like the best example of the prodigal son. I don't know what to, and, and so there's a gentle, like, hey, man, that's not good. Like dog food's for dogs, you know, but there's protein in it. Just keep eating, you know, like, listen, when, when he's not sharing with his sister, we, we gently redirect him. We, we tell him, hey, that's not who Tom Bowley's are. We're generous. This is how we live our lives. Son, that's not okay. You share with your sister. And by the way, you don't own anything in this house. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you think? Like, but listen, don't, don't miss this. When Zane is running towards the street, everything in me changes. As a loving father, when he's running towards danger, my voice changes, my cadence changes, my posture changes. Everything about Seth Tomboli changes because I love my son and I don't want him to lose his life because of disobedience. Are y'all tracking with me? This is a moment in Acts 5 where the voice of God, it shifts a little bit. Well, how can a loving God allow two people to die? Because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him. This is not a gentle correction. This is a hard rebuke. This is a, hey, grab you by the face and your shoulders and say, hey, whoa, 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 please, please don't miss this. You've got to get this son. You've got to get this daughter. You, you don't run to the street. Playing church is running to the street. It is running into danger. It's putting your, your life and your faith at risk. And I'm telling you, if I can do that with my son and I'm jacked up and messed up from the chest up, a loving father loves you way more. He, he wants to di direct you and, and guide you. And write this down. Acts 5, this is a moment where God clears his throat and he redirects his church. Write this down. When it comes to church, stop checking the box and check your heart. This is very simple, but it's so hard to do sometimes. Lord, is there anything in me that shouldn't be? Lord, would you search me and know me, remove anything that's impure from my life? God, examine my motives. Lesson, the lesson in this text is not to give more to the church. The lesson in this message is not to give all to the church. The message in this is that your heart needs to be right before God. And when your heart is right before God, God can use you to do awesome things. I think God wants his people to be open and honest. Would y'all agree that honesty is everything in a relationship? There ain't nothing worse than when somebody is lying to your face and you know they are, right? Did you know that God is fully aware of where we're at, what we do? He's kind of like God, you know? <laughs> so I want to get practical this week because we know that God can't change who we pretend to be. And so we need to do this. Number one, this week I want to challenge you to do this. I want to give you practical handles every week. Number one, check your heart. Check your heart. Ask God to remove anything in you that's not from him. Number two, check your head. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, yeah, you got a big head, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Check your head. This is your thought life. God, would you remove anything in my thought life? Because did you know that most sin starts as a thought? And then it leads to an action, and then that action leads to death. And, and I don't want that for you. So check your heart, check your head, and then check your actions. And this is simple. It's, hey, God, I want to do things for the right reason. I don't want to manipulate people. I, I, I don't want to have things that are wrong motives. And in verse 3, it picks up and says, Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has filled your heart and you've lied to the Holy Spirit? He goes down and he says, What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but God. What made you do such a thing? Y'all, I have fallen short 
of the glory of God many times in my life, just like everybody in this room has. There was a time, I've told you part of my story, where I used to be a thief. If you're a guest here, yes, I was a thief. I no longer steal, in Jesus' name. But there was a time where I took things that didn't belong to me. I got caught stealing on family vacation, one of the most awkward moments of my life. Stealing from a mall, lady caught me, cops came. It was a really awkward, uncomfortable situation. Can't go into full details, but this is what I'll tell you is that sin always starts really small. It starts with a piece of candy. It starts with a, man, I, I could take it and probably get away with it. Oh, nobody's going to know. And then what happens is what starts really small ends up destroying your life. Nobody wakes up one day with these awful, crazy intentions. It starts small, and it leads to a big crash. I never thought that one moment of compromise would take me down the road that it did, but God restored my life. Listen, it's far too easy to be content with your image of spirituality rather than the reality of your spirituality. So this is the goal of today, is that you would get real before God, that you would allow God to change you, and that you would be open and honest with him, okay? Last thing I want you to write down is this, stop lying to God. This is not very popular preaching in the world we live in. Stop lying to God. We need to realize today we're not lying to, to people. We are actually lying to God when we are against his word. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Listen, Ananias could have given half of the money and been honest and he would have been blessed. Are y'all tracking with me? There was another way to go about this. Ananias could have gave half. Did y'all know giving half the money is actually a really big deal? <laughs> It's actually a really big deal when somebody gives half of their income to the things of God, but when they do it and then they lie about it, that's when things get fishy. Are y'all tracking with me? So Ananias had another way, but he, he did it his own way. I, so people want to know when they read this text is, did God kill this guy? <laughs> did, did this guy die because of lying? Did he have a heart attack because he was scared? <laughs> like, did James Bond snipe him from the window? You know, 007, OG game, you know. I, I personally think, I, I don't know if this is completely true, but I, I think I'm going to suggest this. I think they, they may have had a heart attack due to the fear of being found out. Because they would rather be dead than be honest and alive with God. And there are some people that live their lives the same way. I've been there. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there today. And maybe you have lived your life, you would rather die than come clean and be honest about the affair. And be honest about the financial uh, error that, that has happened for years. Or maybe you would rather die before God and before his church and instead of being honest with your kids about your past. Can I tell you there's healing in confession? There's healing in honesty. We've all been there. We've all done worst. We've all done worst. And so now we've got a situation where there's two dead church members, because by the way, they were a part of the church. We got two dead church members, a scared church, and Peter is probably more scared than anyone. Y'all want to know why? Because he was the one officiating the whole thing. And Peter knew in the back of his mind, I've done way worse than lie to God. Are y'all tracking with me? Peter knew. I haven't just lied to God. I denied him to his face three times unto his death. He's probably like looking for the lightning, you know? <laughs> Peter's like, I haven't just lied to God. I ran from him. I rebelled from him. I rejected him. 
And I want to tell you, this is the beautiful picture of grace and the gospel is this. I don't want to miss this. That there is no need to make a decision based out of fear to follow Jesus. Everybody look at me. I I have to know that you hear this today. There is no need to make a fear-based decision to follow Jesus. Some of you are here today, and you started following Jesus based out of fear. It was a get-out-of-hell-free policy for you as a kid or as an adult, whatever it may be. Hear me on this. God's wrath was poured out onto his son Jesus on the cross. He was crucified. He was beaten. He was ridiculed. He was killed. He was murdered. His wrath was poured out for us, not onto us like we deserved. That is the good news of the gospel because what we should have received was that. But who received it? His son. And I just, I I read this. This is This is grace. This is the mercy of God. This is the life of Jesus and what it was about so that we, as broken sinners, that we could have a relationship with God. Jesus came to bridge the gap. And we miss this. Y'all know we miss this as a church? Just fake it till you make it. That ain't gonna work. It doesn't work. Stop playing church. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that you could fake a relationship with him. God did not send his son to die on a cross so that you could play church and check the box. It's okay. Everything's great. No, God sent his son so that he could have relationship with you. That is the gospel, that when we put faith in this and we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus came, he lived a life and died a death that we deserve, we put faith in the resurrection, we receive eternal life and life to the full right now. This is the gospel. In a world that waters it down, that is it. The best decision I've made in my life, giving God full control of it. And I think there's some people here today that, that maybe you need to confess. I want to encourage you, get real before God. We're going to cut worship a little short. I feel like I'm supposed to share the rest of this. Get, please, for the love of God, stop playing church. It's not worth it, man. It's just not. Confess, get real before God. And then number two, we need to heal So so confess to God, but also tell your brother and sister in Christ. Tell your leader. Tell your life group leader. Tell a friend. Why? Because healing comes with confession to your brother and sister. There's a lot of people walking around forgiven that are still broken and not healed. Confess to God. Share it with a friend. Share the burden. And then this is what I know is true is when you're healed and when you're forgiven, that God lights a flame in you that nobody could put out. He can't. The world needs to see the church burning bright for the things of God. Not a fake, not a facade, not a show. No, we need Christians alive for the gospel. This is it. This is everything. And then number three, we got to tend the flame. I spoke a whole message about it weeks ago, tend the flame. Because it will grow dim, but you can, you can tend that flame. You can fan that flame. You can blow on that flame. You can get in a life group. You can start serving. You can start reading the word of God. You can ignite your prayer life and start to worship instead of doubt. God will move in your life. He will transform everything about who you think you are. Please, can we make a pact today that we're going to stop faking it? Don't fake it till you make it. I had a moment this week. 
I had to go out to lunch with my friend Andrew up here. Wednesday night, I lost my cool with Kendra. And I used to lose my cool. I had an anger problem, and I would yell and make a fool of myself. But God healed me. So now when I lose my cool, it's when I say, like, just a mean thing, and I don't apologize, you know? Like, like it was really bad back in the day, but now it's like when I intentionally say something that I know is going to hurt my wife, and then I'm slow to apologize because I'm prideful. And so we, were, we had a discussion. <laughs> we disagreed about something, and, man, I knew I blew it. I, I, I couldn't sleep Wednesday night. I wake up Thursday, and what, do, what would you know? I came to the office to write a message about faking it. <laughs> I was sitting at my desk. The Holy Spirit made it so clear. He said, Seth, if you build up your bride, I promise you I'll build mine. I'll build the church. Would you just love your family, love your wife? Seth, if you serve your bride, I'll be faithful to serve mine. I'll serve the church. This is it right here. Somebody needs to hear this today. Seth, don't speak life to the bride of Jesus and speak death to yours. I blew it, man. So what did I do? <laughs> I cried in my office. <laughs> I cried. I was like, man, I'm texting Kendra. Please, you call me. We, we wake up. It was early. I blew it. <laughs> and I didn't even, it wasn't even that bad. I just knew I, I, if anyone from the church was there and watched this, I would be ashamed of myself. And so, man, I, I called my mentor, Pastor Mark, that comes and speaks. I was on the phone with him confessing. He was like, please don't ever lose this. I was like, I hope I don't. You know, I don't want to ruin this. God's moving. You know what stops church growth? is faking it till you make it. You know what stops growth of the believer? It's faking it till you make it. I, I just don't want it, guys. Are y'all with me? I don't want it. And so I went to lunch with Andrew. <laughs> We're sitting at the new park in Fayetteville next to this stream, and I'm crying, eating that quesadilla from that really good place on Dixon. And, and he's just looking at me like, what have I gotten myself into, you know? <laughs> and, and I just said, dude, I, I had to tell you, you're my friend. Like, if we're going to pass through this church together, you need to know where I blow it. And I'm not telling you that to throw a pity party. Kendra's going to be so mad at me for telling this story. I just don't want you to fake it, guys. It's not worth it. Are y'all with me? Get real before God. Confess your sins to one another. Forgiveness and healing will take place, and God will light a flame in you. If you would, bow your heads.